it's important to have the expectations down on paper, even if it's a release. And I know we meet certain people and everything is great and we're happy with them. And it only takes one to shake your world. It really does. That to enough for you then to go a lawyer and say, I need releases. That's why I say always be proactive than reactive. It's much better to you know get ahead of something than to try to fix something, right? Welcome to Scale Your Course. If designing and delivering a scalable course has got you feeling overworked, overwhelmed, and just plain tapped out, you're not alone. I'm Tracy Sheriff, and in this podcast, you'll listen to a combination of solo episodes and powerhouse interviews, where we'll share tips, strategies, and insider insights into how you can successfully design and deliver a scalable course. Prepare to reach your next level business goals without compromising your health and wealth with the Scale Your Course podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Scale Your Course. Today I interview Miriam Hennage. Now Miriam and I met at a networking event not that long ago and I immediately was drawn to her when she introduced herself as a lawyer for online coaches and we started talking about the work that I do and how she could offer some insight into the legalities around course creation and the things that you need to know as you're preparing to put a course out into the world, I knew I had to have her on the podcast. At Venture House Legal, Miriam has concocted a delightful menu of affordable legal solutions that leave you grinning from ear to ear. From flat fee services to bundled options and the innovative Start to 7 Fractional Lawyer Retainer Program, she's got all the ingredients for startups, small businesses, and entrepreneurs to thrive without breaking the bank. But that's not all. Coming soon, Miriam's latest creation, Contract Templates for Course Creators and Online Businesses, is going to make legal matters a breeze for all. So if you find yourself in need of legal guidance, I'm encouraging you to not hesitate to reach out to the legal guru with a side of wit, Miriam at Venture House Legal. Now, we need to keep in mind that Miriam is Canadian. So if you're Canadian and you're listening to this, Miriam will be the person that you want to reach out to. That doesn't mean that if you're not Canadian, there's not value here. It means that you will need to think about where you can reach out for the legal advice that's available to you where you live and do business. Miriam and I talk a little bit about copyright, we talk about trademarking, and we talk about the importance of having disclaimers around specific elements of your course. You won't want to miss this, especially if you have never thought about the legal implications for you as a course creator. Let's get started. Welcome to Skill Your Course, Miriam. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today about the legalities around course creation. This is definitely something that I haven't actually interviewed or had a conversation with anybody about. So I'm so thrilled to have met you and to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to it for two weeks now. Um, But yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions and to support you and your viewers as much as I can. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got interested in having a conversation with me today about course creation and the legalities of things. 
when I mentioned with the networking group and I um, understood what it is that you offer with courses, scaling your business, the first thing that came to mind was a lot of the, the legalities when it came around privacy issues or when it came around terms and conditions or, you know, privacy policy or the GDPR. A lot of people, they just create the website, they create the course, they sell it, and then they sit on it because all the work's been done, but they don't understand that there are certain legal implications that can be costly in the end should someone make a fuss, right? So I wanted to be sure that your clients or your your viewers, rather, um, they understand that it doesn't stop there. It's especially if you're taking money from uh, through the website, uh, payments are processed, certain information is collected. All of that has legal ramifications if you don't have certain languages and policies in place that's on your website, essentially. So those are really important. And then on top of that, I've noticed a trend with professionals, let's say naturopaths, psychotherapists, they still have their practice and they've created courses more like a side hustle to begin to focus on something very specific. So let's say it's something like gut health or whatever the case is. And there's courses around that. They also need to know the implications that colleges might have on them, uh, whether they can do that, whether it's too close to them practicing, because what they're doing is they're hoping that the course will essentially drive more traffic to their practice. But the tricky part is, is that some colleges don't really like that necessarily. You have to have two separate entities completely. They want it to be separate. You know, you could say, for example, you know, reach, consult your your natural, your nearest nat- naturopath or trusted naturopath, whatever the case is. But to put your name on there, again, it takes someone to make a fuss, make a complaint for the college to then reach out to you and be like, you know what, this is a no-no. So it's just to make you aware of what the legal implications are should certain things not be in place. So I just thought I could help and support and just give a little bit of insight when I heard your story and what your company does. Yeah. And I was so excited to meet you that day too, because I was really thinking that the legalities of things have not been discussed. And recently I've had clients who are becoming more aware about these things, asking me questions that I can't answer with a lot of confidence. And so when I met you and you said that you were a lawyer and we talked a little bit about that and I want to get to that. I want you to be able to introduce yourself really and tell us like exactly who you are and what you do. But when I found out that you were into law, I was like, yes, I found my person. So um, sometimes you just have to put it out to the universe. (laughs) Yeah. And um, yeah. So let us inside (laughs) your head a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got to being part of the online business community where you are doing this work. Obviously, you're passionate about it. But tell us a little bit about your career and and what got you here. So I actually dabbled in many areas of law. I've dabbled in real estate. I've dabbled in um, litigation, employment law. Um, I still do wills here and there. Um, But I found that business, entrepreneurs specifically, working with entrepreneurs was by far the most fulfilling for me. Very positive. Um, You're on the journey for someone who has created something, their baby, and you're able to protect it. That's how I like to see it. Guide, protect. I feel like um, it's it's been very rewarding in that way. So 
I understand that many people, they do not want to seek legal. They're, it's like they're afraid of it, a little intimidated by it. It's always on the back burner, but it's actually very, very important. My thing is you want to protect the golden goose, the thing that is making you the most money. So why wouldn't you invest in legal? Now, there's several reasons. Of course, budget is a big thing. Um, I, as an entrepreneur myself, understand that. You want to try everything. You want to invest in everything to optimize your success, right? So I understand that. That's why I created Venture House Legal, because it offers many options that will fit into your budget. And if there's something there that isn't fitting into your budget, we can create something. It's not a problem. I really want to support entrepreneurs in that realm. Online course creators, one of the entrepreneur groups that I do support, I find that there's a big demand. Everyone should say everyone. Many people are creating courses now. In fact, I wanted to create a course still a little bit on the back burner, just trying to, you know, do other things right now. But I will eventually do something like that because it's a very, it's a very interesting and viable business. I can see that. Um, it I would certainly encourage anybody to do it, but I want to make sure that it's being set up correctly. That's why I got into what I got into. I like the positive space. I still get to practice law, which I love. And I'm essentially on the journey with the entrepreneur. I like to consider myself part of the team. Of course, their success is their own, but it's nice to know that you're you're helping and you're assisting to get them to where they want to, need to get to and essentially protect it as much as you can. So knowledge is power. I'm here to provide any answers to any questions that they might have. And I think you could tell I'm not... Uh, typical conventional lawyer you'll never see me in any kind of you know suit of any sort or whatever like any of that stuff I'm just I'm very 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 different I'm very personable in that way there's nothing intimidating about me nothing to be scared about legal let me just help you navigate through it so that's that's why I start my my business I will tell you that I found you extremely personable when we met when you came over and you introduced yourself to me, I, I was just immediately drawn to you. And now you're actually part of the Happy Healthy Women community as yes. well as a trailblazer, which I think yeah. we had a conversation about because I knew right away that coaches in the online space, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of people are creating courses, but coaches in general in that community of Happy Healthy Women can really benefit from the knowledge that you can bring. So I'm so glad that I heard that you are are starting with us. I don't know whether we we talk about the mistakes that people make or whether we talk about what people need to be thinking of right from the gate when they're putting their course out there. Like you mentioned some GDPR things, but I'm just curious, what would be the things that you would maybe see people not think about that they should be thinking about? I think everyone becomes overzealous with their ideas and putting forth the course with certain names. You know, this is just in the first level when you're thinking of the name of the course. No one does a background check to see if anything out there is similar or if it's going to be a situation where there's trademark infringement. Although they go through all the steps to create the course, to create the website. They could be doing it for a while. And then somebody comes and has a cease and desist letter saying, hey, I'm doing the exact same thing and you have my name and it's confusing my customers. So that becomes an issue. It's something that I found to be common. So 
just off the just you know from the beginning stages some mistakes are made because this is our idea oh this is catchy but no one does their research to see if anybody else has it so whether that be nuance reports whether that be a search for trademark registrations anything of the sort no one does it on top of that uh, they don't have terms and conditions or privacy policies. And that's very important, especially when you're collecting information. And if you're selling the course online, I would assume you're collecting, you know, your first name, last name, email address, phone number, uh, credit card information, all of that. You have to be compliant with law, the legislation of Ontario and Canada, right? So both provincial and federal. GTPR people don't think about it like they talk about they want to expand and everything like that and if it just comes across somebody you know in the eu or whatever the case is it's fine but they have very stringent rules on collecting information um so you have to have certain language that reflect that and and shows that you are you understand this and should for instance someone request for their information to be deleted or whatever the case is you are compliant with that but you have to have that language there they'll review it you can't help if someone just randomly it's the world wide web they stroll over on your website and purchase a course and you know and the fines are they're they're up there so you don't want any of that you know it's something that can be avoided with a certain clause in the terms of conditions that's something as well so i find that there's lots of um issues with around privacy, so mostly privacy and around trademark issues. Another thing is that so let's say the course is being built out and um, there were certain parties um, that were invited to speak in, onto the course. And let's say, you know, you don't have the proper documentation in place with those parties. So you are able to use and essentially profit from them speaking on um, like their, their topic of uh, expertise that you've invited them for. That can be also troublesome as well. Last thing you want is for someone to be upset and then also send you a cease and desist or send you something with regards to how this is my intellectual property and you weren't you know, supposed to use it in your course. It, typically people have those conversations of what it is that they're getting into but you do need releases, you do need waivers, you need these kinds of things in place to protect you legally, right? Having these places, things in place gives you a forbid that you have to go to court and have a litigation matter, but it gives you the best case to put forward to the court, to show the court, this was the intention, this was, this was what was understood, this is what was agreed upon, and so there's no, there's nothing further to discuss, essentially, right? It makes it very more. It makes it much more difficult if you don't have anything, right? So those are the main issues that I find coming up over and over again with course creators, online creators. You know, was was thinking when you were talking about using other people's content in particular, whether or not you were talking about other content that maybe like somebody's maybe volunteered or been paid to put in your side of your mm -hmm. course, because a lot of course creators we'll use guest experts as examples, right? right? They'll, right. they'll ask, I've been a guest expert in other people's platforms before where I've never really signed off on it, but there's an agreement and an understanding that they would be able to use that content for the lifespan of that product. Right. Do you recommend contracts <laughs> between people when they make those kinds of agreements? A release is fine. Hey, 
this is what we're using. Because you know what it, the problem is, is that sometimes the person might go into it with good faith and not sign a contract. But then a situation arises where that other person maybe tweaks it, edits it, and it becomes a very different concept or um, topic um, than what they were there to do, to, that they were speaking on, they intended to speak on. So they don't like that because it, it focuses, it damages their branding, it damages their credibility on certain things when things are piecemeal and they're putting it together, piecing it together in a way that is not what they intended it for. So that, that becomes an issue. So releases for those, for anything is always good because again, it just says, hey, you know what? Thank you for being a guest on here, you know, for your expertise. We will be using it this way. We have the right to use it this way. And you will not have any compensation now or forever <laughs> as this is being sold. And people are usually okay with it. It's like, what, five minutes of their time and, and you know, just go ahead and do they have their own thing going on. Some people, they don't like it, right? So it's important to have the expectations down on paper even if it's a release. And I know we meet certain people and everything is great and we're happy with them. And it only takes one to shake your world. It really does. That to enough for you then to go to a lawyer and say, I need releases. That's why I say always be proactive than reactive. It's much better to, you know, get ahead of something than to try to fix something. Right. So yeah. that's what I'm yeah. You've made me think though about something else. So I do this. <laughs> So mm -hmm. I've had, this is my second podcast. I used to have mm -hmm. another podcast, um, which is actually no longer published, but I used to have a release attached to my podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really just a statement. It wasn't actually a full uh, document. And, and so maybe you'd weigh in on that, but I used to have just a, a little checkbox that would say um, by uh, being agreeing to be interviewed, you are aware that this podcast will be public and um, shareable, um, and, you know, also giving them the privilege to share as well, but that I would be the owner of the content. I often take those podcast episodes and I repurpose them inside my, my program. So I have a group program called course design school, and I often repurpose that. So like, if we were doing the, like, I, I would potentially, want to repurpose this inside of course design school by linking out to my podcast and say here's an additional resource for you when you are thinking about you know what you need to be considering to make sure you're protected whether that's your intellectual property or or what have you would there be a release needed for that for me to then like should I be adding like this should may also be used inside my program is there a need I for would that I recommend that I would recommend it I you know, what are the expectations? So it's not, oh, well, there. here's the thing with you. So with the release, there's already an expectation. Hey, I can use this however I want. But there is more language that needs to be added. So if you did want to repurpose it in other courses, it doesn't hurt to add language in there. And it also doesn't hurt to mention that there's no compensation to them should you do that. It's language I provide all the time. So it needs to be understood that, hey, thank you for doing this, um, but there's nothing further <laughs> than you just doing this. This belongs to me. I have the creative rights to it, all of that. So as long as I, I believe that when 
creating any kind of contract, as long as the intentions are outlined diligently and well in a contract, there should be typically no issues. And if there is, then you pull out the contract. Hey, you agreed to this. Now, the release, when you say that they've agreed to a box, that's fine. That also constitutes their agreement and is and is uh, forcible in court. Um, similar to when you go on a website and then the terms and conditions or something like that pops up and it says, do you agree by them? You can proceed. If you don't agree, then whatever. That's also fine as well. It, it will be deemed as a contract in that way. Uh, excuse me, a signed contract in that way. So um, I would I would amend it a bit just to be on the safe side. I'm a very cautious lawyer. I don't leave things to chance. Um, and I don't leave things to interpretation either in terms of leeway to, it's like, oh, maybe she meant this, maybe she meant that. No, it's very strict. It's very straightforward. This is exactly, you can't misinterpret it, right? That's, so I, I would I would say maybe a little tweak with that release would be beneficial to you for sure. That's really good advice because I hadn't really thought about that because I, I see the podcast as my content. Like I am the creator of the podcast, mm -hmm. but I am sharing the knowledge of other people, even though willingly, like they've agreed to be on the podcast. And, and most people that go on podcasts know that the whole purpose of it is to put it out into the world. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about the legalities of how else I might use it. So I, I appreciate that advice because really what you're saying is it's just good to to protect yourself just in case. Um, most of the time I see my resharing of the podcast within the context of my course, additional learning for my persons, my audience, but yeah. also the promotion of the person who is being interviewed or sharing their intellectual property. So it's a win-win, right? I get you in front of my audience again through my course content, but they might've missed that episode if they are a listener at all to my podcast, because I have some students that never listen to my podcast, but <laughs> then I can use the, that podcast inside the course to continue to educate, support, and provide that mentorship that they need, as well as promote the inter person I'm interviewing. So yeah, good, good to know. Some of my clients have asked recently questions around intellectual property too of yes. others, right? So one of the common questions I get is, am I able to link a YouTube video of someone else's inside my course? If I give credit, if I say, this is a great video on such and such a topic by one of my mentors, Tony Robbins, are they able to do that? And, and if not, what do they need to know about that to protect themselves? If it's a link to Tony Robbins and you credit it and you note that you are not the owner of this intellectual property, whatever the case is, the disclaimers essentially is what you want to do. It should be fine. I would say if someone within your community that um, maybe they're building and they're not as world-renowned, known or whatever the case is, I would have a document in place. I would have a release of some sort in place permission, of course, because then it forms a license, right? So it would be a license agreement where, hey, you know what, I'm using this, um, they're licensing it to you. So you can facilitate or add use as an add on course, right? 
it's again, it's very important to get permissions because if you don't, then it becomes a legal battle. Um, and think of it like this, people are very protective of what they built. So they want it to be respected in every regard. And that includes, if you're going to use my stuff, I might be fine with it, but please note that that's not your stuff, you know? So link it back to me, you know, get permission from me. Let's put the proper documentation in place because what also people don't think about is what happens if for whatever reason there is bad PR or something happened to that individual. One, you've now attached yourself to that person. So now you have to, you know, redo the course or remove certain links or whatever the case is, or maybe you had bad PR or there's some issues going on. There's things in the news that you've done this and you don't, nobody wants to be associated with that. And then they'll have an issue, especially if you didn't have anything in place, you know, it becomes a bigger thing. So it it's about understanding that in the same way that you probably wouldn't want somebody to just take what you built and, Put it as if it's yours that would take the credit for it in some way they wouldn't like that but what would you want you would probably want a shout out you'd probably want a link hey for more information visit so and so or a release so because then you have a licensing agreement typically with a licensing agreement they might charge you you know you know if you want to do this if you want to use it in your course here's a nominal fee for it this is what it is so there's those kind of bargaining things that you have to think of when approaching that kind of situation right and again some people don't care some people don't care we're all happy family <laughs> you know we're all supporting each other but like i said it only takes one so think about that that's you know always act in a proactive way just in case mm -hmm, so. mm -hmm. yeah and so i'm i'm thinking this through the opposite way like i'm thinking okay i have a podcast it's informative there's you know, other course creators that might find that one of the episodes gives a lot of value and they, they want to use it. The only way that they can really use it is to link to it because, you know, the raw files aren't public. I guess there's probably ways that people could probably try like to take, right. take a file. And, but I mean, it's my voice, it's your voice. Let's just say it was you and I, our podcast episode here that we're recording someone wanted to use my podcast as a like an additional resource or a supplementary resource like, I wouldn't mind but there's no way for me to track that either unless someone says so-and-so shared your podcast in her program or on a coaching call with me and so in some ways I think that that's supportive to one another like you said a lot of people don't mind but yeah, I, I don't know. I'd never really thought about if someone said, hey, can I use that episode? And I say, well, I'm, I'm going to charge you for that. I guess it does happen. But if I had like my intellectual property for how I support my clients with designing courses and I have a, there's one framework <laughs> inside of course design school that I consider very much my own. It's informed by theory and some of the things that I've learned along the way, but I've, it's some a framework that I've created that I use with my clients. If someone took that and then put that inside their course creation course and didn't say, you know, this came from Tracy Sheriff, like that yeah. would, that would, I'd feel robbed. <laughs> That's infringement. Right? You know, you bring an interesting point. I remember I had a client back in the day. Um, they did a live and they were happy to do it. It wasn't an issue. 
um, you know, they provided a lot of value. I don't remember what the topic was, but they provided a lot of value. And then the person took the live and included it because it was a series. It was a series. And um, they took the lives, they put it together and they created, um, they, I don't know, they bundled it up somehow, like the person that was interviewing, they bundled it up somehow and they started selling it. And I don't believe there was an agreement in place to do that. It was just more so, hey, I'm going to do this live. Um, and they were selling it and they made no mention of that person. There was no kickback. There's no royalties. There was nothing. The person came to know about it because somebody on TikTok saw it that was a friend of theirs and said, hey, like, you know, are you, you know, they, they first said, they thought it was like, oh, good for you. You know, you're doing your partner. She's like, I'm not partners. She's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, they're selling this course for thousands of dollars. It's like, are you getting anything? And most of it was just her, her speaking. So she, this person strictly benefited from this person's expertise when they just came on for a nice live, asked, answered all these questions, and they just put it all together and offered her nothing. So that would be a situation, right? So <coughs> beg your pardon. But um, trademark infringement, it, it it's, it's about branding, right? It's about not confusing the consumer. I'll give you an example, Tide. You know, you recognize the colors, you recognize, you know, the brand, everybody knows it. And, you know, you can go to the store. How many times have I seen where I picked up something and I thought it was Tide because it was cheaper. I was like, oh, this is great. This is on sale, whatever the case is. And I go home and I find out it's not Tide. Technically, that is trademark infringement. So that kind of thing happens all the time. So when you mentioned the Tony Robbins thing, when you just have a link to something, if you credit it, hey, this is a great thing from Tony Robbins. Here's the link. And he, you could purchase the book or whatever, but this is what I, you know, blah, blah, blah. That That's fine because you've given credit to where it, it's due, right? But if you pass it off as your own, that becomes an issue, right? So that's where releases and things like that or permissions, licensing, whatever it is that, you know, the parties figure out um, will, you know, proceed with, they'll proceed with, but typically that's, that's the logic behind that is that you don't want to confuse the consumer and you don't want to anger the other person that had the knowledge that shared the knowledge that is essentially making you money when you, without them, you wouldn't have done it. Like you wouldn't have been able to capitalize on, on it. Right. So yeah. that's, it, it, it's a sticky situation, but again, it's, that's pretty much how it goes. Right. So. But. Yeah. It's, it, I can see why it would be important to, consult someone with your expertise to really make sure that the your i's are dotted your t's are crossed and that you have thought of all of these things because there's probably a lot of loopholes that people probably catch themselves in that they don't even realize they're putting themselves at risk mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely for instance like for myself i'm creating templates uh, contract templates and the biggest hurdle that I face is what if somebody takes my templates and just recreates them and sells them right there's no way of me knowing unless you know it comes to my attention from somebody that you know who hasn't purchased it so there's certain things that I can put in to track that 
But ultimately, I tell my clients, well, you spent about $500 in just giving this out to random people. Like, for instance, like, you know, when somebody says, oh, just give me your template and they just give it over. I'm like, you've invested the money in your business. Did you just want to give it away? And for someone who's selling it, that eventually it'll be caught and then you'll get a demand letter and then you can get sued. Um, the stakes are too high to be reckless in that way. But it happens. It happens. So you have to you have to put the necessary measures in place to minimize it as much as possible. Right. So. And what about your students or your learners inside of a course? So I teach some things that are theory based because I, I teach on instructional design and how to create a good curriculum. Obviously, I lean to evidence-based strategy, but I, as I mentioned earlier, like I've kind of molded it into my own approach, but there are things that I talk about that are just common knowledge. But then of course there are things, like I said, that are, are, are my own. Is there a way that you should be placing some type of disclaimer or expectation on your students? Well, what kind of common knowledge do you mean? Because if it's common knowledge, then nobody has rights to that. If we're talking about disclaimers, I would say, I'll give you the best example that I can get. Let's say the course is to teach you, okay, it's to teach you how to create a course, <laughs> which you do, right? And um, you would probably benefit from a disclaimer that says this in no way uh, means that we can guarantee any kind of certain income that you'll be getting from this, from this course. That's a big one because of many people, they'll go, oh, this is going to be my lifesavers. I'm going to make all this money, blah, blah, blah. But you don't want any of that because it will solely depend on their efforts and it will depend on if they, you know, they listen to the instructions and just their success is their success. You have nothing to do with that. But this is the format in which we've proven you have the best chance to do this. So an earnings disclaimer would benefit you. Other disclaimers, um, there's several, really. Let's say uh, for myself, if I were to create templates, that doesn't mean that I'm your lawyer. This is just that it was drafted by a lawyer, which is myself, but it does not create a solicitor-client relationship where there's privilege and things like that. Like we're not, I haven't been retained. You have just, and you're not getting professional advice from purchasing these templates. It's just that, you know, this is a product. It was drafted by a lawyer and this is what you've chosen to, to use. And it's, you know, it's been peer-reviewed and all of that. You made the decision to take it on, but we can't make any guarantees of any sort that nothing will happen. We'll say it like that, but essentially it's a disclaimer, right? Most importantly that I'm not your lawyer. So you don't say, oh, we know what I was retained by bank. No, you weren't. You just bought templates. That's all it is, right? So disclaimers are very, very important, specific to the situation or the product or service that you're providing. Many people, especially in the professional space, they will always put a disclaimer that this does not suffice as maybe counseling or psychotherapy services or whatever the case is. And if you need those things, you have to seek a professional. This is just for educational purposes, right? So that's, and language like that needs to be also addressed in either the terms and conditions or the contracts that are provided to clients who are purchasing the courses as well. So it's understood that that's what that is, right? Mm -hmm. So back to one of your other questions, when you said like, what do you, can you give me an example? So for example, in my course, and I've seen other people do the same thing, 
there's a framework called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a documented framework by Dunning-Kruger and they did the research. I'm just sharing it to add perspective and knowledge to my students. But that piece of my program isn't my intellectual property. It's me just like as a teacher in education, we talk, we share information all the time. So how do I distinguish the difference or is there a need to just, you just make a reference to it, you know, this in this book, this method or whatever, and that's it. And then if you wanted to um, take it a step further at the end of, you know, the course or whatever the case, you can provide the links or the reference points, almost like a, I won't say bibliography, but essentially something like that. That's all. You just make the reference point. It's a copyright. It's about you taking something and passing it off like the copyright infringement. It's something that somebody else created. It's their ownership and you're passing it off as if it's your own. So you've taken word for word something. Like if you didn't say that it was from this book or from this model or whatever the case is, if you didn't make reference to it and you just you know, maybe created a whole new name, just a completely different name and it's word for word, that model, that would be copyright infringement because somebody will, you know, no, notice it and be like, wait a minute, that's from, you know, whatever the case, whatever it is, right? So that would be copyright infringement. It's not if you're just making reference because it's a teaching tool, that's fine. The rest of your course is, you know, copyright and this is how you do it. This is how we're going to look at the resources, blah, blah, blah. You have to have resources, right? That's fine. As long as you just reference where it's come from, that's all. That yeah. wouldn't be an infringement on your part. I wouldn't worry. Yeah. I mean, having worked in education, <laughs> copyright's a big thing. Education has some, I, I don't want to say loosely, looser rules, but if you're using content within the context of an educational institution, as I understand, there's some additional things that you can do that maybe the average person can't, but you still need to reference it. You still need to properly cite. And so I know all about, you know, the APA or the MLA uh, uh, stuff, which I don't see in the online space very much. As an educator, I'm used to being very formal. Whereas in the online space, people might just link and put that little disclaimer that we talked about, but they're not necessarily using proper citations or references because it's not an academic paper, right? The best way I could explain it, so me as a lawyer, I would reference a lot of case law, right? I didn't write any of those decisions. I didn't do any of that stuff, but it's case law. And I use it to apply it to the situation that's at hand and why the law has decided in favor or against with, a, with similar facts to that situation. So case law to me is a resource, but it's also, it's common law. So it's, you know, the law of the land as well. So, um, but I would, I would relate it back to that, so, something similar. And I always cite it. I have to cite it, right? That this is, you know, case law from blah, blah, blah versus whatever. And it has all the lovely citations that follows it. <laughs> But I'm referencing it because I'm trying to prove a point that it's there's been decisions already made on, you know, similar facts. But to your point, as long as you reference it, as long as you're not implying that it's your own ideas, you're fine. It shouldn't be an issue. And if there is, you know, someone will reach out and you just amend it accordingly. But 
typically there isn't an issue when you reference the person because like you to your point it is exposure to them and somebody will probably go pick up that book and read it and you know uh, take it a little bit further but there's so many ideas out there that's not copyright infringement copyright it's in, it's plagiarism essentially it's plagiarism from um, somebody that has created something that they've written something essentially um, because copyright law whoever has created it whoever's let's say whoever's written a piece a blog that auto the ownership automatically attaches to that person that created it so just pay your credences to it like make, make sure that uh, you cite it this blog from so and so you know says whatever blah 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 and then you you know go on with your points and and your methods and whatever the case is to support it it's not too much of an issue i don't see it as an issue perfect well i'm sure that that's the answer most people would want is that is is to is to be thoughtful about it and intentional thoughtful, and, and you'll yes. probably be okay Yes. Um, and and like you said, to your point, if you're not okay and someone says, please decease and desist, then you cease and desist. And, you know, yeah. unless you think that it's a focus <laughs> claim or something like that. But right. So I want to touch on one more thing before we talk a little bit more about your templates. And it's kind of circling back to the first beginning part of the episode where I didn't really explore further with you. You talked about naming your course and the mistake that course creators make in not searching for the name, seeing if there's another trademark. What's the process that someone would need to do? I mean, obviously I have a global audience, so you're in Ontario, um, so you can certainly use <laughs> Canada as an example, but I've looked at some trademark websites and I've done some searches I'm just never sure if I'm actually doing the right thing. There's different, it seems like there's different types or different, so many different places that you can yeah. search. What What's your best advice? So you can go on CIPO, CIPO to um, do a trademark search. Um, something to note is that if you trademark in Canada, your name isn't protected in the US. You have to file an application there or any other place in the world for that specific name, right? If you want trademark protections uh, for it. What is trademark? Trademark is essentially the brand that you have that when someone hears it, they know exactly what they're getting into. That's not confusing. So I'll give you an example, Dove. Dove, there's the chocolate and there's the soap. If I'm as a consumer looking for Dove soap, I'm not going to be confused by the product because I'm not looking for chocolate, although they have the same name. So you could have a similar name, but the products has to be different because it doesn't confuse the consumer as to what they're buying, right? So when it comes to trademarking, it comes down to, um, is it the logo that you want recognizable? Like you have Nike, you have Lacoste, you have whatever, um, Apple, for instance, um, or like, is there colors? Is that with the color scheme, is there taglines that, you know, you don't want anybody using because it identifies with your services specifically. You have to think of what it is that you don't want out there to be copied, essentially, right? Um, or knocked off. Let's use that word, that phrase. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing you have to think of. What is it that I want to trademark, right? If, let's say it was Miriam Hennig, business law, I'm not going to worry about trademarking that because 
I'm Miriam Hennig. And when somebody comes to see me, they can know that, oh, that's not the person. <laughs> like if someone else, that's not Miriam. Who is this, right? So I don't need to worry about that. But where in a situation it could confuse the customer, that's where you need to worry. So you need to think of that. And then you need to also do a nuanced search and um, to see if the name. Now that also comes with, you know, whether you want to name your corporation, whatever it is that you're naming it, and it's the corporation name that you want to trademark, then you also have to trademark it as well. If it's a tagline, if it's a specific course within your company and there's a name for it, that's what you have to trademark. And when you're trademarking it, there's different classes that you have to select that it's going to be with regards to providing courses. It's specific, excuse me, it's specific to this type of topic. It's this, it's that, whatever the case is, right? So someone needs to search on Sepal first. So that will first, you can put in your name, uh, the name that you require, that you want to trademark, and you can see what's available, what's registered, what's not registered, what's pending as well. And then take a look to see what the services are. If it's similar services to you and it can confuse the customer, that's going to be a problem. You can't use it. Another thing is that but you should probably do this before you decide to actually name your course, get a website domain, get an email domain, basically set yourself up with all of that stuff and then realize, oh, I can't even use this right now, right? So um, that these are the things that you need to get in place um, before. So you have the nuance search and you have the SQL registration to look up the names in, in Canada. Awesome. Well, that adds some level of clarity for me for sure. Um, <laughs> what I'd like to talk about now is give you an opportunity to just talk about how people can gain access to the contracts or templates that you were talking about. I know from talking with you prior to starting recording, you mentioned that you have some things in the works and I know that people are going to be curious. Are your contracts going to be specific just for Canadian entrepreneurs or course creators or will your contracts be able to be leveraged or utilized in some way by people outside of Canada? For now, it's just going to be Canadian-based across Canada. Right now, I'm in the process of creating a website to have them sold on, but I do offer them um, as an alternative, a cost-effective alternative to a custom contract. Sometimes clients, they just need a contract, which I'm very supportive of. I have a contract and nothing at all. Um, but um, I've created bundles. Um, I've created the one-off contracts, for example, the releases. Um, all of that is created. So we would have a conversation. You would just book a call with me, a discovery call through my website, VentureHouseLegal.ca. And we'd have a conversation. What's the best fit for you? And if you wish to buy the templates right now, even though I'm not selling them on a website right now, I could certainly make that happen. I'll send them over to you. So that's definitely an option uh, for now. So until I officially launch. That's excellent. I'm I'm looking forward to being able to take a peek at those myself. And I really appreciate you coming and chatting with me today. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to go a little deeper into some of these topics. At some point in time, I'd love to have you back with some more specific questions. We kind of did a bit of a broad general overview for today, but enough, I think, to get people really thinking about things that they might have overlooked or just have thought about, but didn't really know what to do next or, or that it really emphasizes the importance of it. So thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I look forward to having you back.
Oh, the pleasure's all mine. I'm very excited to come back. Thank you for that. I appreciate it.